things first. This is about truth telling. I have no agenda. Zero. I always have questions. What's the problem? That's just who I am. This is what no mercy is all about. Hey, here I come. You can book it. Ah. This is the moment of a lifetime. The clock's ticking like my lifeline. Until I flatline, I push it to the red line. Who gon' stop me high? Who gon' stop me high? Breath taking a move that I make. I give it everything I got. Cause that what it takes. I push the limit till it break. The heart of the brave. The soul of a legend with the will to be great. Hold up. Welcome. <laughs> Welcome to the latest edition of No Mercy with yours truly, Stephen A. Smith, coming at you every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. You know, today's podcast, I almost didn't want to do it because there's certain things that touch you in such a way you don't want people to see your emotional side. That's how men are. That's how men are, damn it. It's hard for us to show our emotions, okay? It's hard for us to cry. It's hard for us to let somebody see a tear in our eye over sentimental things. Sometimes you can't help it. Particularly when you talk to the people that I'm about to talk to. Imagine how many more strong but caring men we would have in this world if they had a mentor in their life who thought them about strength, but also gave them a hug. A person who takes the time to guide and teach them how to navigate through the trials all young faces, all young boys face. Just imagine that for a second. If they were told it was okay to cry, because it is. Just imagine if there was someone who called you out from when you lost your focus, but then made you see the reasons why. Imagine if they did so at the impressionable age of 11 or 12 or 13. Because those are the times that are critical in a boy's life, you know. When you're discovering who you are and what the world potentially has to offer you. That's the time in a young man's life when they begin to decide. Am I going to work towards college? Am I going to have a career? What about a family? What about the streets? Ladies and gentlemen, there's a man in Detroit. His name is Jason Wilson. He's doing absolutely, positively amazing work. He operates a martial arts studio for boys. But he's not just teaching them martial arts techniques. He's showing them how to live a life of peace and deal with life's problems. Why is he doing this, you might ask? Because sometimes a child doesn't just need discipline. Almost always they need a whole lot of love. That's what they're missing most. And when you have somebody that has the ability to provide both discipline, martial arts skill, and love all in the same time, all at the same time, just imagine what that can do for you. That's what Jason Wilson is doing. So much so. In such a brilliant fashion that he's got a film out to talk about it. It's a film executive produced by one of the greatest actors we've ever seen. The one and only Lawrence Fishburne. And guess what, ladies and gentlemen? I don't have one of them coming up. I got them both. They'll be here next to talk about it. On No Mercy with yours truly. This is the moment of a lifetime. Uh -huh. The clock's ticking like my lifeline. Until I flatline, I push it to the red line. Who gon' stop me high? Who gon' stop me high? This is an exciting moment. First of all, for the first time, I'm having two guests, not just one, talking to me right here. The first is the embodiment of an actor and artist having won multiple Emmys for his work in television, a Tony Award for his work on the Broadway stage, and of course, an Academy Award nomination for portraying Ike Turner in the feature film What's Love Got to Do With It. The second is the epitome of what it means to be a teacher, a motivator, and a mentor. 
Both men are linked by their wonderful documentary film, The Cave of Adullam. Please welcome to No Mercy, the one and only Lawrence Fishburne, and of course, Jason Wilson. What's up, fellas? How y'all doing? How's everything? All right, Stephen. Good to see you, brother. All is well, brother. How you doing, man? I'm doing great. Honored to have you both. Uh, Lawrence, I'll start with you. I mean, you executive produced this film. Um, Obviously, Jason, you're the subject of it since it chronicles the work at the Cave, your academy in Detroit. Uh, Lawrence, first question for you. How did you find Jason in this story? Well, a cat named Roy came to me and my partner, uh, Helen Sugland, um, at Cinema Gypsy, which is my production company. And just told us about Jason and the work that he's been doing in Detroit. And I immediately responded to it. um, Because my description of Jason's work is that he is initiating young boys into manhood, Mm -hmm. which has been um, not only a theme in a lot of the work that I've done in my career as an actor, but it's also been um, a constant sort of theme in my life. Um, both as a young man and now as a mature man. Jason, I ask you this question. I mean, obviously, again, you've had the cave for quite some time. Why did you create, tell our audience why you created uh, this training academy to begin with? What was your motivation behind it? Mm, I wanted to give um, black boys in my community uh, what I longed for as a young man myself. Uh, My father was in the same city. He loved me. Um, But unfortunately, uh, he wasn't actively in my life. And so I did a lot of wandering, gotten to some situations I shouldn't have been in. And I quickly saw the importance of having a male figure in a young man's life. And so when I started developing the Cave of Adullam, interestingly, at the time, there were several boot camp programs and scared straight programs. And I even participated in a few. And I quickly discovered that our boys didn't need more discipline, they needed more love. They needed to be healed and not scared straight. And so that was my main uh, goal for helping boys to finally release something that we've been taught to embrace as Black people, which is trauma. I ask you this question in all honesty because I think about that, and that's a beautiful sentiment. I mean, that, that a lot of people don't think about that approach. We think about trying to you know, resurrect folk. We think about trying to engage in projects where you're trying to correct the error of one ways and far often than not, we're not thinking about children. You were thinking about children. Why? I know you just explained what your motivation for it, but a lot of folks don't know to think about the children nearly as enough as they should. How did Mm. it get to a point where you knew almost instinctually that that was something, that was the direction you need to go in more so than anything else? It's the root of a tree. It's where everything begins. Um, I have a saying when I work with men is that inside of every grown man, there's a broken boy. And so I, I, I knew it was imperative that we start at the ground level and that we invest in the seeds of our community and start watering them instead of re-traumatizing them. Mm-hmm. And when I, I gave these kids an opportunity to really express how they felt, gave them a safe space, the kids that were written off, the kids that I was told would never graduate, my first cohort all of them graduated on time for middle school. And I, I saw quickly there, I'm like, oh, they need an opportunity to express what's going on inside. Because if not, they're going to express it in different ways. And that's why we see, you know, what's happening in our society, especially in our communities, where a young man can't even have an opportunity to navigate, nor is he taught how to navigate through his emotions. So he succumbs to them. And next thing you know, he's arrested or dead, like both of my brothers were murdered. Mm. Lawrence. Yes. You're well read. You're well, you you know, you're exceptional at what you do. You've seen a lot throughout your life and throughout your career. It's one thing to hear about this story, hear about what Jason was doing Mm -hmm. in the city of Detroit with this academy. It's another thing to visualize it, to see it. What was it that you saw that really moved you and resonated with you to a point where you wanted to participate in such a thing like this? Well, it's interesting. There's about 10 years of an age difference between myself and Jason. Mm -hmm. And as he said, tragically, he lost brothers to these things that we've sort of been, that have been ingrained in us and we've been conditioned to sort of accept Mm -hmm. this, this trauma. As somebody who is Jason's senior and with the kind of platform that I have 
as a result of all of the years of my work, mm-hmm. I felt it was only right and proper for me to assist in creating this documentary so that more people would be aware of the good work that he is doing. Mm-hmm. So in other words, God put me in a position to be an elder brother to Jason mm-hmm. and to use my gifts, my influence, my power, and my platform to help further along and to support the work that he's doing. Because again, these boys, the reason it's so important, the work that he's doing is that these boys are going to be men very soon. Mm -hmm. And because of the work that Jason has done with them and for them, they're going to be outstanding men. They are going to be shining examples of black manhood in this country. And that, you can't place a value on that. I totally agree. And and I'm just thinking about this documentary and just for the audience, for the purposes of the audience, is following four young boys, Demarcus, Gabe, Daniel, and Kevin, as they, you know, confront inner demons and having to deal with so many of the trials and tribulations so many young black men have to deal with. A lot of times when we talk about kids specifically, but especially young black men, we talk about the importance of discipline. You both talk more about love than anything. That's what I peel from this. Mm -hmm. Jason, I'll start with you. The importance of that message, because a lot of people, you know, they'll look at kids and the first word is discipline, not love. With you, it's the opposite. Talk about that for a second and why it's so important to take that approach. Um, Again, growing up, training in martial arts, um, that's how I was trained, you know, Everything was discipline. Everything was discipline. Um, but over the years and getting, becoming friends with many of my, my peers in martial arts, I decided that I, I didn't want to be a black belt in a dojo and a white belt in life. And what I mean by that is that if you only possess discipline, you do not have the patience or whatever else it takes to deal with life as a whole. So I have many martial artists who are great discipline, are, di- are disciplined and can choke tap you out in a matter of like 10 seconds or kick cups off your head. But they can't keep a job. They can't stay married. They can't uh, deal with the emotions that causes them to cheat on their wives. And so what love does, it, we practice discipline at the Cave of Adullam. Don't get me wrong. However, everything that we do here is taught with the spirit of love. So when I raise my voice, my students know Sharath, which they call me instead of sensei, which simply means servant, they they know Sharath loves them. And so they move faster. They work harder. So when everything is driven from love, that's when lives start transforming. And Stephen, one of our uh, evaluations that I'm really proud of, brother, is that um, over 78% of our recruits uh, improve their grade point average by one Mm. letter grade, by one letter grade without tutoring. So what does that tell you? When you give them an opportunity, give them a safe space without condemnation, encourage them without necessarily challenging them. So we use the word encourage instead of challenge because it has a different theme to it. It it still pushes you, but yet at the same time, I'm lifting you and not pushing you down. And so that's the power of love. And it's also written that love casts out all fear, perfect love. And so I'm able to help boys deal with ADHD symptoms, how to sit still Because the love gives me patience and endurance to sit with them and have them process what they're dealing with. It's so much more than martial arts because Mm -hmm. you cannot defend what hasn't been disciplined. Mm -hmm. You know, if you haven't checked your emotions and I whip out a knife, you could be the best grappler or kickboxer there is. If I can just fake at you and you move, I can cut you. Same thing in school. If you can't sit still and not allow the distractions around you to make you lose focus of the teacher in front of you, you won't pass the class. And so that's what I've seen, uh, how the power of love has worked. But yet we still use discipline. We still use accountability, but everything is rooted in love. Lawrence, I know you mentioned how you felt when you first heard about this project. Compare that to how you felt once you finally met Jason and you saw (laughs) who he is and what he's about. Express that. Wow. That's such a beautiful question, Stephen, because our story is very, is very, it's beautiful. Um, You know, I was, I was 
very, very excited to meet Jason. And I was also, I was humbled because what we haven't talked about is the fact that when Jason and I met, he told me that as part of his curriculum and teaching the boys, he was using some of my work, specifically the scenes between Morpheus and Neo in the first Matrix movie mm. as part of his teaching tools. Wow. And so what that told me was that, you know, I had been actively participating in the work that he was doing anyway. Mm-hmm. And it, it also gave me permission to step into a big brother role for him. And so, you know, we, I immediately took him to some places and, and <laughs> gave him the benefit of some things uh, and helped him uh, to sort of embrace more and more of his nurturing side, which he had been developing. You remember, Jason? You know what yes, I'm talking sir. about? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> so, so the way that, the way that, that goes is I, basically we were in my home and I made, I cooked dinner for Jason and mm-hmm. Jason was very grateful. And he said, wow, this is, re- you did that? That was so simple. It was a very simple dish I made and it took about 25 minutes and it was very healthy and very clean. And he said, I'm, I'm going to have my wife make this for me. Right. And I stopped. What did I say to you, Jason? You said I need to make it for my wife, right? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Not the other way around. Not no. the other way around. So, yeah, no, you yes. did, you're gonna do this for her. Yes, he did. He yeah. was like, and... what? I was like, why not? He's like, Oh, okay, right. That yeah. it's that nurturing component, it's that softer side, you know, what some people refer to as our feminine side, because everyone has both masculine and feminine attributes. Yeah. So, you know, uh, I feel about Jason as if he is my my brother, my younger brother, and I am deeply, deeply proud of him and honored to be a part of the work that he's doing in this way. I tell you, mm. I just turned 55 years old a couple of oh. weeks ago. Yeah, I just Congrats. A couple of, thanks a Happy lot. Birthday, yeah, Happy I, birthday, brother. Happy birthday, A few weeks ago. Thanks, thank you so much. And I'm listening to both of you, and part of the emotion that I have watching the cave of Adullam and listening to you guys express the importance of love and nurturing as we build and strive to uplift mm-hmm. young black men in our community. I don't know about you, Lawrence, but I find myself looking at myself, listening to you and Jason. And I say to myself, damn, I could have done a lot better. Could have done a lot better with my nephews. You know, that I've got them in my life. I look out mm-hmm. for them. They work for me now. I love them to death. But, Am I hard on them? Was I wrong to focus on discipline Mm -hmm. more so than love? I find Mm -hmm. myself thinking along those lines as I'm listening to y'all. Lawrence, did you ask yourself those questions after meeting Jason? Steven, I just just had a a meeting with my oldest son. Mm. My oldest son, who is 45. Yeah. And we had one of the best conversations that we have ever had. Um, and in that conversation, I was able to share with him that there was, there was the way there were the, there was the way that things were. And there was the way that I wanted things to be with him. I wanted to see him a particular way. And he was a particular way. There was something about him that was real that I couldn't see until today. Mm. And how old is he? He's 45. Okay, go ahead. And so the long story short is God brought us together today and we had a real conversation about what's real and what we're going to do and how we're going to move forward with life. Because at 45 years old, he finds himself in a place where he's not exactly sure where he should go and what he should do. And he came to me with that. Mm. He came to me with that. And I was able to be his father in a way that I wasn't able to be his father in the entire time that I've known him, because I made a lot of mistakes with him. Like you're saying, yeah, I made mistakes with him. Mm. But today he came to me like a young man and said, pop, I'm at a crossroads. I don't know what to do. Can we talk? 
I said, yeah. So I cracked my heart open and I showed him all of my vulnerable places. And he cracked his heart open and he was able to be vulnerable with me. In a crazy kind of way, Lawrence, was that one of your proudest moments as a dad? Absolutely. I mean, it's like I said to him, I couldn't have planned it this way. I wanted it to be a different way with you and me, but God has made it this way with you and me. And this is much better than I could have ever imagined it. Mm. It's better than I could have pictured it. And Jason, you hear a story like that and you see what you're doing with young men, but obviously the message that emanates from the cave of Adullam can simply be for all of us, not just young kids whose lives we're influencing, but elder statesmen who might have an opportunity to reflect on all we have been, yet still recognizing all we need to be. Is that a right way? Is that a, an aspirational way for us to look at it in your eyes, Jason? Absolutely. Um, the Cave of Adullam, we welcome all the fathers, grandfathers, and mm-hmm. uncles. They come and sit and watch their sons train and then build with each other. Just yesterday, we did no physical training. The boys wanted to talk about communication with their parents. And so many of the fathers opened their hearts up and it broke their hearts to finally hear the things that their sons were dealing with in high school. But because they never gave their son room to really express what they were dealing with, only gave them orders instead of an opportunity, the children never opened their hearts. And so I had to tell the fathers and I tell every parent, you know, don't condemn yourself. Our children did not come with manuals. Right. We will always make mistakes. The biggest thing in parenting, I tell people, is to be present and recover. Be present and mm. recover. You know, and uh, Brother Stephen, you know, I had to learn, you know, from my mistakes uh, with my daughter. My son has a more comprehensive father. I was disciplined, Dad, with my daughter, and it, 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 it ruined our relationship for many years. Mm. And I literally dropped to my knees crying to her when she was 16 just telling her how sorry I was. And she was trying to deflect and make dad feel better, saying, dad, you were just trying to protect me. I said, no, my daughter, I was loving you from my fears. And what happens is parents, we, we parent from a fight or flight mentality. Instead of parenting from love, we parent from fear. Fear that they're going to make this mistake. Fear they're going to do this and that. And I've just learned, my brothers, that I just want to live in the moment. I hugged my son yesterday after talking because he shared, you know, and I'm like, wow, the first thing we do is say as fathers, like, man, did I do this wrong? I don't go there anymore. I say, I got to, I'm breathing right now. I can hug my son and say, I'm sorry, and I'm going to do better. Jason, I was getting ready to ask you that because I got two daughters and and you touched on it. I operate out of fear. I got to yes. confess that to y'all. I'm yes. scared to death. I'm scared to death when I look out in the streets. I'm scared to death when I see the elevated level of violence. I'm scared to death as to what they're being exposed to. I'm scared to death that they're not going to heed my words of caution and they're going to be, you know, they're going to drop their guard. They're going to, you know, let the Mm -hmm. wrong person near them, Mm -hmm. et cetera. I'm absolutely positively petrified. How do you overcome as an adult stuck in your ways? How do you overcome that fear? So you can operate from a position of love and you're not parenting out of fear. I'll tell you how I've managed to do it. And that's very simple. And I've leaned into God on this because our children don't belong to us. Mm. Our children are gifts from God and they come with blessings. And what you have to remember is that God trusts you. That's why he gave you daughters Mm. and he trusts them and they are listening to you and they are watching you and they pay attention to everything you say and every move you make. Mm. And they are smart girls and they will be all right and make good choices because they've had you as an example of how to do that. And, you know, that that fear, my brother, you know, they see it as love as well. You know, so don't get that misconstrued. But Lawrence, I remember when he told me that our children are like like watching our hearts walk outside of our bodies. (laughs) And I, I never forgot that. And one time I was in New York and I did not want my daughter to go on an internship there. And everything worked out well. Everything was well. And I'm walking for an interview through, uh, I forgot what neighborhood I was in, and I just teared up as I looked up to the sky and I said, Father, thank you for watching over my daughter. And Lawrence hit it on the head, my brother. Children are gifts from the Lord. He gave them to us. Mm. We are to manage and do our best to teach and train them in his way, which is not fear. Right. And so when you 
I mean, it's normal, brother. That's your daughter. So when my mother had dementia, I was I was telling my friends like, man, why is it stressing me out so much? I should be able to just shake this off and keep moving. Right. And my best friend, my best friend said, Jay, that's your mama. And so I say to you, my brother, those are your daughters. You should feel that way. They're precious. They're beautifully and wonderfully made. And so there's nothing wrong with feeling that fear. You just can't succumb to it. This is the moment of a lifetime. The clock's ticking like my lifeline. Until I flatline, I push it to the red line. Who gonna stop me high? Who gonna stop me high? Let me go back to these four boys. Mm-hmm. Uh, you got Kevin. He dealt with skin issues when younger and being bullied, of course, and, you know, was, you know, struggling socially. And in school, you got Demarcus. He was dealing with his mom who left him with his father. Uh, but now having another child and he wants to be a big brother to him. You got Gabe. His father's in prison and he never knew him. You got Daniel, who uh, never dealt with the death of his father. What did you find most challenging, Jason, out of those four, those four individuals and what they were experiencing? Was there one more challenging than the other, or does your approach sort of equal out the field to some degree? And each, I know they're all significant. Please don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to minimize the importance of one over the other. I'm just saying in terms of challenge, the challenge of reaching someone mm-hmm. and really resonating with them, which posed you the greatest challenge? I would say to Marcus, um, typically, you know, boys are used to their fathers not being actively in their lives. You know, you will hear that narrative a lot, even though a recent study, I believe, by the New York Times showed that black fathers are more active with our children than any other ethnicity. Mm. But however, you rarely see a son without their mother. I remember recently, Stephen Tamarcus had a, you know, he imploded emotionally and was very angry and was just, I said, hold on, son, we can't digress in this area. I'm going to give you the room, but we got to process and let's move forward. And he started crying and just was angry. And I stopped the entire class. I said, everyone in here who has your mother in your home and in your life, raise your hand. So imagine 20 boys raising their hand and Tamarcus is the only one with his hand down. Mm. I said, now I want you to understand why he's dealing with what he's dealing with. A mother is, you know, she's the rock from what we've been taught and we've we've shown throughout our communities. My mother was a single mother, lost a son. My grandfather was lynched. She still hung in there to raise me. But at the end of the day, if she would have said, hey, I'm going to just leave you with your dad, that would have done something to me on a psychological level. And that's why Tamarcus' issue was uniquely uh, just different. I had to pull and lean on more compassion, more empathy and understanding. And the way I disciplined Tamarcus, when we talked about discipline and love, when I see him about to implode, I speak those words of love into him, but I'm gradually encouraging him to finish the drill, finish the training, finish the pull-up, finish the punching, finish the kicking, and he accelerates but I, Stephen, that stretched me like no other young man has. But I'm thankful for that because it made me a better man with my 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 wife, a better right. father, a better teacher, and a better servant. Lawrence, mm. one of my favorite all time movies is Boys in the Hood. Me too. In that movie, you were a father. Yes, Cuba Gooding Jr. Mm-hmm. Shared a child with the great Angela Bassett. How much did that role resonate in your mind when it came to thinking about doing executive producing The Cave of Adullam? Well, I I don't think it was a conscious part of my processing. But what I can tell you is, like I said earlier at the beginning of the interview, is that there's been a number of work. There's there are a number of pieces of work that I have done where this theme of fatherhood and initiation into manhood and all of that plays throughout it. And obviously boys in the hood was really the first of those movies, um, with furious styles. Um, the character that played, I mean, essentially in that movie, a friend of mine, I remember I was on Venice beach one day after the movie had come out and a young brother approached me 
and he was just full. He was like on the verge of tears. He wanted to thank me for that performance. Mm. And I was really kind of overwhelmed by it. I didn't really know what to do. I said, thank you. I was gracious to him, but I had no idea what, why he had all this wealth of emotion that he needed to express to me. And a friend of mine was standing next to me and he said, Oh, you don't understand what happened. I said, what happened? He said, when you did that part, you became a father to a generation of fatherless boys. Mm. So the character represents that for a lot of people, not just in the black community, but in many communities where the fathers are absent, you know, in lives. So it's just been something that it's kind of the archetype that I have been assigned as an actor is sort of light mentor, dark mentor, father figure. And I think it's probably why, you know, Jason and I wound up meeting and why I wound up producing this film, because it's a very important sort of theme um, in my life, I think, and in, and in the life of any community, to have uh, young people, whether they be male or female, initiated into adulthood is how we produce positive, upstanding citizens. It's how we produce good men and women. And we used to do it in the old world, in every culture in the old world. There was always an initiation ceremony for both the females and the young males that let them know that they were no longer children, that they were entering into the world of adulthood. And the world of adulthood comes with rights, responsibilities, and privileges. Mm. So, and, and that gives young people meaning in their lives. What what that's the other thing it's like the love that jason pours into these people into these young men is also <clears throat> fueled by you know it also adds purpose to their lives it gives their lives deeper meaning we have no idea who these young men are going to become but i yes. cannot wait to see who they are in 10 years well the interesting word that comes to my mind is accountability in this sense mm -hmm. when you lead with love I don't care who it is mm -hmm. and they know you love them. There's a level of accountability that most of them feel towards yes. the person who loved them and yes. looked out for them That's and guided right. them. And there's something that comes with it that says, I don't want to disappoint them. Yes. And that's one of the motivations behind the upliftment that mm -hmm. we try to provide. But I'll throw this by both of you because this is one of the biggest reasons I wanted to talk to you guys about this film. You know, Lawrence, you've been in about 75 films. Jason, you've been doing what you've been doing in terms of teaching martial arts and, and helping the youth and what have you for over 25 years. One of the things that I appealed from this, because it makes me angry at times, I have to confess. Yes, there are men who do not handle their responsibilities. There are men that should be more active participants in the lives of their children, not to mention the fact that doing what they can to uplift our community, but far more often do exactly that. And as black men who are fathers, mm -hmm. I know I'm talking to two dudes and I'm, I know that myself, I'm far from perfect, but I'll be damned if we don't try and we don't strive mm -hmm. to be all we can be to our children and to help uplift our community. Mm -hmm. Any kind of thought process, and I'll ask you this, Jason, I'll go to you first. Any kind of thought process entering your mind when you think about the Cave of Abdullah you think about folks and how we Black men are normally labeled when it comes to their participation with our youth and particularly their own children, that's a misnomer, that's erroneous, that's insulting. Have you thought about that at all? I mean, in, in all transparency, I used to be uh, really hard on men who um, I was judgmental until okay. I started meeting with these fathers. So when the son come, the mother, if, say if the father wasn't active in the son's life at the time he joins the cave of Adullam, I will always ask where the father is. Where your dad at? Tell him to come. Tell him I like to see him. Then I get the number. Then I have the father come. Then the father keeps coming. What I quickly discovered, um, Brother Stephen, is that it's not that these men don't want to be in their kids' lives. It's that they don't know how to navigate or deal with the emotions that arise because they're no longer in their kids' lives. And what I mean by that, because of the breakup with the mother or whatever it may be, as men, we're taught to only be masculine. And by definition, it's just attributes 
uh, traditionally ascribed to men is strength, boldness, and aggression. So if you're only, if you're the crayon box with just eight crayons instead of 64, it's only so many colors you got. <laughs> and so when you deal, when you deal with the pain, the heartache of you not being able to see your son, or you did something and just say your wife left, but you're not, you never were able or given an opportunity to express sorrow, sadness. We'll say, man up, man, shut up, be a man, man. We don't cry, dog. Let's deal with that. Mm-hmm. If we're not taught to reconcile, I asked my kids recently after the shooting at uh, University of Virginia, yeah. when the last time you seen an action movie where two of the main stars reconciled their beef mm. and they couldn't name one movie. See, culturally as men, we're not taught to be comprehensive. So I have a saying, I want to be a comprehensive man, courageous and compassionate, strong and sensitive where I no longer live from my fears, but I live from the good in my heart. And so to answer your question, brother, is that th- that narrative, again, there's research to show that black men are more active in our children's lives than any other ethnicity. You can Google it. But that narrative is pushed, but it's actually a lie. Where it came from is a study that came out, I believe it's 2002, that said over 78% of black homes are parented by single females, black females. But that stat is skewed because it is saying that the black male isn't in the home, but it's, it's not telling you that that black man is in that child's life. Right. right. And so just for clarity, just for doing this work and being on the ground level for so many years, I stopped saying deadbeat dad and all these other negative uh, titles for men. As men, we have not had the freedom to feel. And so when I give fathers that opportunity and I got testimony after testimony, the relationship between father and son becomes like this, unbreakable. When I give the father freedom to cry, I had a father cry in my office in front of his son. I told him, hold your son's hands, connect your legs, look into each other's eyes and don't say a word. He broke down crying and his son finally saw the love that his father only could express through providing. And so when we're able to change that side of manhood and fatherhood, then we can see fathers express nurturing from a different, differently than just providing. And here's another example, my brother, when brother Kobe Bryant tragically passed, mm. when he died, when the helicopter crashed, the hashtag that went viral wasn't Mamba, it was Girl Dad. The videos and images we saw was of him not just dunking and dominating the court, it was him loving on his daughters. And then that hashtag went viral. Why? Because as men, we're nurturers, but we were ashamed to express that or show that side until we saw our beloved Kobe lose his life. And then we saw him do it in a public way. And then it was affirmed by the culture. And then men came out their caves and said, wait a minute, I love my daughters the same way too. I put my daughters to sleep. I feed my daughters. I burp my daughters and I'm still a warrior. And so that's the thing that's that needs to change. And I, I know once we do that, my brother, you know, you'll start seeing a different side of fatherhood in our community. Well, that's why Jason Wilson is not only a teacher uh, and a mentor, but he's also an author, wrote the mm-hmm. books Battle Cry and Cry Like a Man. And there you said, well, I'm not committed to developing martial arts. I sacrificed my life to save the life of boys. Lawrence Fishburne, I'll ask you this question. When you hear Jason speak and you listen to what the motivation is behind everything that he's done and he is doing, it's one thing to hope that the cave of Adullam really, really achieves big things, and I have no doubt that it will. But what kind of impact do you anticipate it will have on our society once people see this film? Well... I believe that anyone and everyone who sees the cave of Adullam gets initiated. I believe that's the impact. The impact is it will make you think about these things, these ideas about manhood, masculinity, um, accountability, um, love, discipline, nurturing, all the things that we've been talking about. Um, it sort of lays it out for you while you follow these four young men. 
and it initiates you into that process. It brings you into this idea of changing the culture in a way, which is exactly what Jason's been talking about. Tell you what else it does. It makes you feel silly or practically amoral if you don't. (laughs) I mean, I'm sitting here listening to y'all and I'm like, there's a lot of things I got to go. I got to go hug and tell my daughters I love them, which I do every day anyway. But mm-hmm. I, I'm more motivated to do that today. I'm more motivated to be a little bit more patient with my nephews. I'm more motivated, uh, even though I always talk to them in a way that shows more love than discipline, as you mm-hmm. would say. All of those things have come into play. Um, I anticipate that this will be this will accomplish great, great things. Jason, what are you hoping in the end it accomplishes? Hmm. Uh, several things. Uh, one that jumps out at me is that uh, I'm hoping and praying that it would change this narrative about black boys. Um, there's a study, I believe, by the American uh, Psychological Association that says black boys are considered by adults and those in authority as less innocent and more animal-like than their white counterparts. And then when you see the way uh, a lot of, uh, I won't say a lot, but you see the videos, you see what happens to our black boys um, when they get in trouble with law enforcement or those in authority, as this stat says. And then you just oppose that against some of our white brothers. It's a, it's a major contrast there. And I remember, Stephen, when our video, and this is what, 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 what struck me, was when the video went viral in 2016, a white brother reached out to me. And he said, he was angry on the phone, so I didn't know how to, to receive my brother. He was like, man, this is some BS, man. I said, what's BS? He was like, I know there are more black, beautiful boys out there like there is in your academy, but we don't get to see that boy. And he says, in watching that video, I cried like a baby in my chair because of the way I've been programmed to believe young mm-hmm. black boys are. And at that moment, I saw something. I'm like, well, wait a minute. If I can play a role in actually showing this entire world who we really are as a people, because that's been the whole name of the game. If you can dehumanize someone, you have no convictions on the way you treat them. Mm-hmm. And so that's one thing I, I, I pray and hope for. Another is that uh, everyone who sees this, especially uh, I call them my brothers and sisters of another mother, different ethnic background. Mm-hmm. When you see this, Don't let your hope or the love that you feel be fleeting. Apply it to your life. Apply it to your position at work in government, policing, teaching, uh, serving in the communities. And then lastly, I would love to see more men take roles in mentoring. Um, Lawrence, again, uh, I didn't share. He was talking about the Matrix, Stephen. When I found out that there was a possibility that, that Brother Lawrence, could, I could meet him for one, but that he would executive produce the movie. Man, I ran around the crib, you know, <laughs> I mean, straight up. So, so and let me, let me tell you something, man, because I've watched The Matrix at least 25 times. Mm. Half of that probably was by myself because I long to have a man, excuse me, <clears throat> to pour in me like I saw him pour into Neo. And I have a a saying that I have in my office. I say, everyone wants a Neo, but only few dare to be Morpheus. Mm -hmm. And so I would love to see more men step out, step beyond their comfort zones and and, and live from what they longed for instead of what they lacked and pour Mm -hmm. into the next generation. The reason our boys are so angry, regardless of ethnicity, but in my community, when I went to the school, seeing the lockers kicked in, But when I talk to them, they're angry because everyone expects them to be a man, but they don't have anyone patiently teaching them how to be one. Right. Lawrence, I can imagine, I don't have to ask Jason because he just articulated his position so eloquently. Mm -hmm. In terms of you and I. Yes. Me on television. Sure. You on television and film. Yeah. When you look at our society today, and the challenges it represents. Mm -hmm. There are times that I find myself in a tug of war in this regard. Mm -hmm. On one hand, I think it's easier today because we had it so hard as a race of people on so many levels historically. 
that the challenge that the that the opportunities available to us right now, mm-hmm. particularly with the advent of social media, which also obviously could have its negative effects, but you can have a voice, you can make a contribution, you mm-hmm. can have an impact, right? Sure. I look at it from a positive perspective in that right. regard. Right. The negativity is that it appears to be more divisive than ever before. Okay. You got politicians and others, y'all don't have to go there, I'm going there. That yep. don't, you know, that that are too busy being partisan mm-hmm. and not busy enough putting in the work. Mm-hmm. And it trickles down in terms of the negative impact on our society. It trickles down from there to the rest of us to handle. Mm-hmm. And when it comes to the young, the poor, and the desolate, the challenge of overcoming those odds stacked against them seems a bit more daunting. My last question to you, Lawrence, would be, how hopeful are you and where do you lie in terms of enthusiasm as opposed to pessimism when we're looking at our youngsters on the come up, particularly when we see people like Jason, whose heart is clearly in the right place and what he's after and what he is trying to accomplish, what he's been accomplishing all of these years. What kind of a challenge is that in your eyes? You know, listen, um, it's it's never going to get any easier. You just have to work that much harder. Um, I'm here to do the work. I'm not concerned about the politicians or about society or social media or any of that nonsense. My business is about representing and telling stories about our people in this country that reflect the best of who we are and also the worst of who we are so that we have a clear perspective on who we are, what we've, what we've achieved, what we've overcome, what we are capable of. We are human beings. We are flawed. And we have a capacity for greatness. Um, the, the playing field has not been level for us in this country. Yes, things have changed and things will continue to change. We are an incredible group of people. I mean, <laughs> when you consider, you know, not just the fact that we've survived, but that we have thrived, is it's incredible. So I'm not looking left nor right. I'm looking to use my position now. I am, I am 61 years old. I am an elder now. And so I am in a position to both be blessed by young people and to bless them and to encourage them to, to lead from behind, to be the good shepherd who says, y'all can run fast now. Run as fast as you can. Do as much as you can. We'll catch up to you. We'll clean up behind you and we'll catch up to you. Mm. But y'all got to lead now. We've got to prepare young black people to lead. And that's because we were prepared that way, whether it was done intentionally or not. <laughs> yeah, that's true. We have all three taken on leadership positions. And as men of a certain age now, we are elders and, and we have a responsibility to bless our young people and say, you are capable because I love you. I believe in you. You are capable. You are responsible. You, you, you are unstoppable. There's nothing that you cannot achieve because I have your back. All of us have your back. And we are giving you not just the, the benefit of our wisdom, but, you know, the power of our love as fuel. <laughs> you dig? So I'm not looking. I'm never, I'm not a pessimist, man. I'm always looking. The glass is half full. Always. The yeah. cup overrunneth, in fact, for me. <laughs> Let me say this. Um, I, 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 you know, I'll end by saying the Cave of Bedullam, ESPN Plus, everybody go check it out. Um, definitely watch it. You'll learn a lot from it. But I don't want to stop there. I've been very, very blessed and fortunate to have achieved a lot in my life. One of the greatest blessings that I've received in my entire adult life is having this conversation. Oh, bless you, man. Thank you. Thank you. And I really mean that from the bottom of my heart uh, because it serves as a reminder that no matter what we're doing, there's always more to do mm. because there's always more folks to look out for. Mm-hmm. So they can ultimately shine as brightly as we've been blessed and fortunate enough to shine. That's correct. Yeah. Excellent. Yes. Excellent. I thank you both. Lawrence Fishburne, Jason Wilson. Love y'all, man. Appreciate it. Cape of Bedellum. Thank you, Stephen. Thank you, Stephen. Appreciate you, Lawrence. Love you, man. They love you, too. This won't be the last time we're talking. I can promise you All that. All right. Beautiful. Take care, yes, guys. Sir. Bye-bye. Be blessed, Stephen.
is the moment of a lifetime. The clock's ticking like my lifeline. Until I flatline, I push it to the red line. Who gon' stop me high? Who gon' stop me high? You know what? I'm not gonna waste time closing with one of my sermons, soliloquies, or diatribes, whatever you want to call it, because it's simply not necessary. All I'm gonna say is this. The world needs a thousand more Jason Wilsons and programs like the cave of Adullam in our lives. They can uplift you and teach a new generation of men. Imagine if that happens. Imagine how much better our society would be. Imagine how much hope would spring eternally in the years and years and years to come. Think about that. Think about that as we're in the throes of the holiday season. You're looking for something to be aspirational and inspirational and enthusiastic. Does it get any better than what Jason Wilson and Lawrence Fishburne just finished talking to us about? I don't think so. In fact, I know this. It's time to get on out of here, ladies and gentlemen. Sometimes the beauty of hosting a show is knowing when to shut the hell up. Because somebody had better closing remarks than you. That would be Jason Wilson and Lawrence Fishburne. Peace and love, everybody. And as always, thank you because there's no me without you. There's no no mercy without you guys. And once again, as I always say, you don't have to know sports to know mercy. I thought I knew that better than anybody. But guess who else knows it better than me? Jason Wilson and Lawrence Fishburne. By the way, the cave of Adullam. You can currently find it on ESPN plus go check it out. It's worth it until next time, everybody. Peace and love. This has been a presentation of cadence 13 an odyssey company in association with Stephen, a podcast Productions. episodes of no mercy are available now for free wherever you get your podcast. Guess who's got a memoir coming out, ladies and gentlemen? Yours truly, Stephen A. Smith. It's entitled Straight Shooter, and it's available right now for pre-order. I have signed these books, just so you know. So you can visit straightshooterbook.com to order your autographed copy today. In the book, I talk about my life before ESPN, growing up in Hollis, Queens, New York, how sports proved to be my salvation. I talk about some of the mistakes I've made in my life and my impact on the world of sports. The book is called Straight Shooter, and it's written to help motivate you to overcome setbacks that maybe prevent you from reaching your dreams. So go right now and order your autographed copy of my memoir, straightshooterbook.com. Don't wait. It's entitled Straight Shooter. Check it out. Don't miss it.